TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. As the calendar is flipped to October, no better time than to bring you a fresh episode of the Scoop Podcast. It is episode 176, brought to you by my bookie. I'll tell you a little bit more about my bookie, mybookie.com. Later on, we'll go interview, 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 specific to Joe Maurer and his likely retirement coming later this month. And related to the Wild opening their season Thursday night in Denver against the Avalanche. The 2018-2019 season is upon us. We've gotten to know from Blaine High School, from St. Cloud State, Wild forward Matt Hendricks. So we will welcome Matt to the podcast right now. We'll get to some Jimmy Butler talk later in the podcast, although truthfully there is not all that much That is new, but certainly I can pass along what I am hearing later on. Matt, it's always good to catch up. Now that we have flipped the calendar to October, not to suggest that things don't ramp up in September or, heck, even August in terms of getting ready for the season, but does this now take on a different life now that you know that opening night is just days away and we're here in October? Yeah, it sure does. Um, First of all, Darren, thanks for having me on. Um, It's an exciting time of year right now. You can tell the weather's getting a little cooler out for sure. We were just up at Camp Ripley doing a little team bonding, and we got some snow up there. So that was that was pretty nice, indicative of the hockey season for sure. So we're uh, we're looking forward to it, getting uh, kind of sharpening up right now at practice and, and getting ready to go, and looking forward to that to that first game on Thursday. Tell us a little bit more about the team bonding up at Camp Ripley. How beneficial was that? No, it was great. Um, you know, we we wanted to go up there and get to know each other a little bit, kind of get out of the the hockey arena and. and and kind of get into an environment where we're not as comfortable for sure. Um, and what better teachers to have than, than the U S uh, armed forces helping us out and, and, you know, running us through some drills, running us through some teamwork stuff. We did uh, some rope repelling and all that good jazz. So it was, it was fun. You got to, I got to know my teammates better. Um, I got to understand what they're like away from the rink, what their family life is like at home, all those all those things that are important coming into the start of the year. Whose idea was it to get up there? Um, I'm. I expect it was. Uh, it was probably probably the coach Bruce Boudreaux and uh, Paul Fenton, our general manager. I'm sure they came together on came up with the idea together. And everybody was on board like instantly. I mean, the locker room instantly said, "Okay, when do we go?" Yeah, you know, the guys were excited. Uh, we got to fly up on some cool Chinook helicopters. Um, that was a pretty neat experience for a lot of guys, especially the guys that hadn't been able to do that before. Um, and, you know, what's, what's great about playing here in Minnesota and the guys in that locker room, they they all loved, you know, being around the military, getting opportunities to talk to the men and women in the, in the service. So guys were on board and excited for sure. Was your teamwork, was your leadership skills, were they put to the test up there? Yeah, they were. You know, what I liked about it is it was, you weren't, we, we split up into four, into groups of four. So you didn't have just one guy kind of running the ship. Everybody in, within our small group got to, you know, put their input in. And some of the drills we, we couldn't vocalize, we couldn't talk, you know, so we came up with hand signals and mm. stuff like that. And, it was good. You know, it's great to see, you know, the young guys. Like I had Jordan Greenway on my in my group. So you get to get the young guys out there and get them comfortable too cuz you know, you want them you want them to be able to speak freely in the room and it's a great it was a great opportunity for those young guys to kind of come out of their shell a little bit. Who else was in your group? Um, who was who was all in my group? Um, it was Greg uh Paterin and Greeny, myself. Why am I missing? Who am I? Who am I missing right now? You gotta let me think about it. <laughs> well, you think about it, but on Greenway, I mean, he's what twenty one, twenty two. I mean, what do you have? About fifteen years on him or so? Yeah, give or take. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it's not much <laughs> different than last year in Winnipeg, you know, with some of your young teammates. But does that seem weirder and weirder as your career moves on? You know, you being, you know, the age that you are compared to some of the young guys? Yeah, it, you know, it, it is different for sure. But what um, what I find more un- more amazing every year is how much 
better prepared these younger guys are. You know, they're in terms of their habits away from the rink, their nutrition, their diet, the thing, the, the way they take care of themselves. You know, they. It's almost like when they're coming out of junior, coming out of college, they've already been, you know, kind of had a little taste of that pro mentality, the the way of you know preparing and the way of recovering and these kids are really smart now and you know they they've got read they have resources at the levels that you know older guys like I didn't have but you must have had something right I mean to play as long as you have played I mean deep into your 30s you did something right well no for sure but I've learned a lot over my pro career where I guess what I'm trying to say is or, or explain is that these guys seem to already have a grasp of a lot of the essential stuff coming into coming into their early years of their career and their skill sticks out on the ice i mean when you're practicing against greenway and these guys i mean it stands out oh it does for sure their ability to move how fast they can how powerful they are their their puck skills it's it's pretty unique you know it's pretty it's 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 exciting and a lot of fun for me for sure who else has impressed you you know Kyle Rao. He went down to Iowa, but he mm-hmm. he had a he had a great camp as well. I was talking to him the other day, just you know how how he changed. I didn't know who he was in terms of the type of player he was, and you know he came out and played very physical. That was uh, that was that was something that that surprised me, and I was ha- obviously happy to see it. Um, a lot of the veteran guys um, impressed me too. You know, being around Miko Koivu every day now at the rink and. His leadership qualities, his work ethic, the way he prepares, coming to the rink every day, and you can definitely tell why this team's had a lot of has had a lot of you know regular season success, and he he's kind of the driving force, the driver behind behind our team. On leadership, I mean, you're known for your leadership qualities. How do you balance making sure that that you are a leader, but you're also not stepping on Miko's feet or Zach's feet or any number of other veterans? Oh, I, you know, I, communication is definitely big. You know, we communicate with each other real well so far. And, and I think having the ability to talk freely in the room, you know, so everyone is on the same on the same uh, page. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that'll be a problem at all. Do you have a defined role? Are you fourth line, right wing? So I'm playing fourth line center as of right now. But that could change in, in an hour or two and <laughs> – you know, it, it it doesn't it doesn't necessarily really matter. That's where I'm sitting right now. So, I mean, is that the beauty of your game, Matt? That you have that position flexibility. You can play center. You can play wing. Yeah, I definitely. I think it's helped me for sure over my career having the the flexibility to be moved around in the lineup. You know, different positions. Um, you know, take faceoffs. You know, kill penalties. All those things have definitely helped me prolong my career as well. Who's on your line right now? Which is fluid uh, all the time. Um, yesterday, we had a day off today, so we weren't on the ice. But yesterday, um, I had Marcus Foligno on the left wing with Eric Fair on the right wing. And Luke Cunning was kind of moving in and out of the line, moving, kind of rotating in and out. He's coming back from an injury. So, so I mean, especially with Felino and you, I mean, you know, you guys are going to bring a physical brand of hockey. Well, and, you know, Eric Fair, I know Minnesota fans haven't seen a lot of him, but he he's a big boy, too. Oh, okay, so, yeah, big-time physical then. Skates well, and you know when he was a younger guy, when I played with him in Hershey in the minors, and then in Washington, he was you know more of a more of a looked at as a power forward, skill forward, where he you know he was really going to light the lamp a lot, be on the power play. And as his career has gone on, he's had to find different ways and adapt, you know, to keep his career going as well. So he he's really kind of turned up his physical game. Um, he's gotten excellent in, in the faceoff dot as well, and penalty killing. And I, I look forward to playing with both of those guys. They both skate really well. They're both big bodies. They go hard to the net. They go into the dirty areas. And, you know, I think with our work ethic that we could be a, a pretty good line. So bring some offense, too. I mean, no reason to just pigeonhole you guys as, as just that physical line. I mean, whether or heck, I mean, I saw you score a goal in that, in that preseason game in Winnipeg. might have been the first preseason game. Or, heck, yeah. Felino scored at least one against you guys last year in the playoffs. I mean, there could be an offensive element to your line, too. You know, and, and we hope so. That they always say, well, you don't. Your fourth lines don't necessarily need to go out and score. They need to create energy and change momentum and all that. And those are things that we're going to be able to do, and part of our job. But at the same time, we want to be able to help on the score sheet as well. Is Bruce Boudreau about the same coach that you played for in Washington? You know, he really is. 
he brings that excitement. You know, he has that excitement for the game. His passion is still top notch. Very, very passionate player, coach. When it when it comes to every day at the rink, whether we're on the ice or off the ice, in the locker room or in the video room, he's he's a very passionate coach, and uh, we're we're have I'm very happy to be playing for him. I mean, overall, is there a general excitement, man? I mean, expectations still are are relatively high. I mean, not many teams can say they've been to the postseason. What is it now, six consecutive years? I mean, we get it. Mm-hmm. They haven't been able to take that next step. But just to make the playoffs that many straight years is one heck of an accomplishment. I mean, do you sense in that room that, that expectations for this year are pretty darn high? Absolutely. You know, that is quite a feat, six years in a row, and especially in the Central Division, a tough, tough division and a tough, tough conference, and um, it's it's just taking that next step now, and that and that you're kind of raising the bar a little bit and and figuring out a way to to be that team in the regular season again, and then worry about the playoffs when we get there. Do you have a sense if if this is your last year? I mean, you're on a one year deal, or in your mind, are you still playing for a few more years? Oh, I I'm gonna. I, I'm going to play as long as my body allows me to, as long as I'm having fun. And it's still, I still love going to the rink every day. But it could still be up in the air. So I guess from, from the standpoint of Thursday in Denver, Saturday here at the X, will you, will you take a moment to kind of soak in, hey, this potentially could be my last opening night and opening night at home? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really think about that stuff too often. So I'm sure it'll pop in my head once in a while, you know, maybe for a quick moment, but. Other than that, I try not to. I try not to worry about or think about that kind of stuff because I just want to fo- stay. I just want to keep my focus on the game. How has Devin Dubnik looked? He's been great. He came into camp ready to go, excited to start the season. So I really, uh, I look forward to playing with him as well. He, he's a funny guy too. He makes he makes me laugh quite a bit, and excited to be on his team. He's a heck of a goaltender. So everything you've experienced so far, going back the last month plus, I mean. Just reaffirm your decision to sign here. Yeah, you know it really is being able to uh, to be home most nights now with my family, and my wife and kids. It's, you can't put a price on that. It's it's incredible. It's been outstanding this fall coming home, helping with homework, and you know going to soccer and all that kind of stuff that I love doing. And I know they really enjoy having me at that stuff too. So that's been great. And then we got the new practice rink down in St. Paul now at the Tria, mm-hmm. the Tria Arena. And that has been, you know, what a great, great place for us, for the players of the team. We've got everything we need in there in terms of our training, you know, off-ice training. We've got, it's just a great, great facility. So we uh, we really have everything at our fingertips now. It's up to us to, to put it all together and be ready come, come game one. You know what, on that, I mean, Matt, you've been around enough. I mean, as good a practice facility as you've ever had? Oh, absolutely. It's um it's incredible. It really is. A, you guys should get a tour of it sometime. I don't know if there's video on it or anything. Yeah, there is. Yeah, we actually got one a couple of weeks ago. I didn't make it, unfortunately, but I saw the video. I mean, it's yeah. it has to be the Taj Mahal practice facilities. It's beautiful. It's incredible, and you know we're we're very fortunate to have it. How many friends and family will be in attendance on Saturday? No, <laughs> I don't know yet. I haven't got the official count. I try to I try to get all those texts and phone calls sent to to my wife's phone. I mean, I imagine, though, I mean, all your friends from Blaine, heck, St. Cloud State, I would think it's a lengthy list of people that want tickets. Yeah, well, you know, they know not to to call me on it, so <laughs> they, can get, they know how to find tickets for sure. But, yeah, it's uh, it's it really has been uh, a good homecoming so far with all the texts and uh, phone calls that I've got, emails from, from friends and family just welcoming me home, and they're excited that I'm here and just to just to kind of have – you know, people that are that are real close to you to be able to play in front of them every night, whether they're in person or they're watching at home on TV. It's very, very exciting for me, and I, I, I keep my, I'm sure you can hear in my voice. I, I can't wait to start. We absolutely can hear that. You will start on Thursday night. Matt, always great to catch up, and best of luck this year, and I'll see you at the rink soon. Absolutely, Darren, and thanks again for having me. All right, let's now segue to some Twins talk. One of the Twins' all-time greats. He's now a special assistant for the Twins. He also does a great job on some – Telecast. He does some analyst work on the TV side. It is Tori Hunter. Tori, always good to catch up. The main reason I wanted to have you on the podcast was your touching Instagram post about Joe Maurer over the weekend. Why don't you expound on your Instagram post? (laughs) 
Well, you know, I, I don't know if he's, this is the end of his baseball career, and I don't know if it's the end of the Twins career as well. But, you know, it, just just in case it is, I hadn't really talked to him about, you know, if he was going to retire or anything like that. I just want to give a guy his flowers. You know, um, I've seen him grow uh, as a player, as a person, as a husband, as a father. I've seen him grow in many ways. And, uh, and just to – Joe has always been so down to earth, man. Someone I really, really love, and you know, we had great conversations all the years. You know, I played with them, and uh, just to see, it, you know, possibly come to an end. And you saw the emotions the other night when he was behind the plate catching. Mm-hmm. You know how it all started. You know, when the guy has the tears like that, it's a little bit of tears of joy, and also tears of, uh, of you know, kind of leaving his career behind. You know, at you know, in that moment. Uh, so you can kind of see that he's making that decision. He's, he's actually, uh, you know, smothering his heart with all those thoughts and of uh, should I retire or or should I stay? And uh, so that, that's something that I had to toggle with, and and uh, uh, and I got some assistance from my family. So I'm pretty sure Joe is uh, uh, going through a lot right now. We'll get to your decision and how hard it was in a second, but a little bit more on Joe. I mean, heck, you were in the lineup when he made his major league debut. I mean, through through all the growth that you laid out, did you see, though, early on that he had a chance to be very, very special? Man, I saw it. He was like 19 years old, and he was at major league camp, and he was he didn't get a hit, but he had like a eight-pitch at bat, nine-pitch at bat, just battled at the plate. And uh, he got, I think he hit a ground ball my first time seeing him. But he, his plate presence was so unbelievable. I, I was kind of like, wow, who is this guy? At 19, I couldn't imagine, you know, working the count and fouling pitches off and trying to stay alive. Me, I was trying to go deep all three pitches <laughs> and 19 years <laughs> old just to see somebody with that kind of patience. And uh, something I saw in Matt Lawton at the time, Matt was one of the guys who was patient at the plate, worked the count. And uh, but you see a 19-year-old kid and Joe Maurer come up to the plate and he's waiting for his pitch and he's fouling off tough pitches just to get his pitch. I mean that's right there is a it's a star in the making if he stays healthy. And I mean you guys were good those years too. I mean you think about it, he makes his major league debut in '04. I mean you guys were rock solid for a few years there. Oh yeah, in 2004 we were pretty good. I mean I'd say about 2001 we got we were better, but 2002 we really came into our own. Uh, so 2002, three and four, when he came in, we we had a legacy already. He jumped right in, fit right in, and and uh, and and he had like two or three titles before I, you know, I, I departed. But um, this guy is a champion. He's a quiet. He, I call him the silent assassin <laughs> <laughs> because he's so he's so quiet and malmannered. Uh, but he will destroy you. You know, he will get that big hit. He will battle at the plate. You know, late late in the game and. Uh, uh, so, you know, it just I got the, the utmost respect for Mauer on and off the field, man. The way he carried himself on the field and off the field was just it's professional, you know. And he's a hometown guy, you know. Um, he never, he never in the clubhouse have I heard one thing about him being cocky, you know, thinking he's all that. He was so down to earth. He spoke to everybody. Um, I mean, you got nothing but praise for him. You know what? I'll ask you the same question I asked to Jim O'Neill, his high school coach, the other day. Is he an underrated leader? I mean, we don't picture Joe as a leader, but just everything you just said about, you know, nobody ever said a bad word about him. He'd cheer others up. I mean, was he an underrated leader in many ways? Well, you, you got different types of leaders, you know, uh, and everybody can't be a leader. Joe led by example. You know, Joe was the type of guy who came early, did his work, and uh, uh, he went to the cage and hit. Uh, he shook hands with everybody. He had a smile on his face, no matter if he was 0 for 40 or 4 for—I mean, 40 for 40. Um, and he—and when you when you're a kid and you're young, and you look at one of the best players in the clubhouse, and that's the way he carried himself, you kind of look at that and be like, "Man, this guy's a professional. He had all the tools in the clubhouse. To, you know, he had like a, 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 a little sauna he bought." just to get in there to loosen his body every day. And people see that. And he kept going in there every day. Then next thing you know, you saw 30 guys in there trying to get in there because <laughs> Joe was doing it. So he's, he was a leader. He didn't have to say much. He just led by example. You know, professional at bat. And it's like contagious. And when you have Joe Mauer having professional at bat, guess what? It kind of jumps on you because you don't want to have that quick pitch at bat. 
Uh, I mean, everything he did was – you saw him, this guy's, you know, 34, 35 years old running down the line with full speed all this year until his last uh, at-bat. He had a ground ball. He ran down the line hard as possible. I mean, if you see a guy like that doing it, why am I jogging down the line at 22? Then it's contagious. I have to do what Joe does. And, uh, and, and that's Joe as a leader. On your decision, Tori, to retire and, you know, tying that in to Joe, and it's a different animal with Joe. I mean, he just had another concussion in May. So you consider his concussion history. That has to weigh heavily on his mind. But take us through that process, the amount of people you lean on, and how do you know when it's time to walk away? Uh, you know, for me personally, I, I can't speak for Joe, uh, but I know Joe has a ton of injuries as far as being a catcher. I don't want to say at first base. First base seemed like he was settling in really well. This year he played like he was a gold glove first baseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that wasn't a problem. You know, as a catcher early on in those years, it's probably catching up to him, you know, in some ways. It's not 100%, but it's, it's probably caught up to him, and he's thinking about those things and takes him longer to get uh, – uh, loose and stretched out you know that's what happens to me you know it's kind of like i had to get loose before i needed to get loose <laughs> and it was, it was killing me and uh but i wasn't hurting it just took me longer to get loose i wasn't hurting my mind i was driving down the street uh, uh for about a week for seven days straight and i'm telling my wife all right i gotta go to work all right i never consider baseball as work i never said that and used that in any way as work and my wife said it after the seventh day. She's like, you know you use work every day this week? You mm. never say, I'm going to the stadium, to the field. I mean, I, I said work. And I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? Once the mind goes, then the body will follow. And it was just time for me to go. I, I kind of leaned on my wife, um, you know, always leave, lean on my wife for, you know, am I making the right decision? Is it time? And she said, do you feel like it's time? You know, and, and I was like, yes. And then I talked to Tori Jr. and Money and Darius. What do you guys think? And first thing Tori, they, Tori said, hey, come to my games. Now you can come watch <laughs> me play. <laughs> and, and so I, uh, I just kind of made those decisions. And I saw my grandkids, man. You know how blessed you are when you have grandkids. Mm-hmm. And they say, you love you, Papa. I miss you, Papa. You know, so it's all these mixed emotions, all these emotions that playing a part in your decision and, and I'm pretty sure Joe is about to have another baby. He is, yeah. Um, he has twin girls, beautiful twin girls. Mm-hmm. He loves them dearly. He talks about them every day. That's what you do when you talk about your loved ones. Uh, and and to hear him talk about his, his daughters and his wife and his family, you know, um, that's going to weigh in on him too. And I'm pretty sure he's, he's talking to his wife as we speak and, and trying to make that final decision, whether he's coming back for 2019 or retiring. So uh, that's what I did. I kind of just weighed in on the people that's very important in my life and, and plays a part in their life givers in my life, not the death dealers. You don't go to people that bring you know, uh, the noise and bring you bad information. You go to the life givers, and that's my wife and my, my kids. Tori, while I have you, I'd be, I'd be remiss not to pick your brain on just the twin season as a whole. You were around the guys enough. 78 wins. How do you, how do you analyze this year's twins team? Man, it's just there's a lot of ups and downs, um, a lot of transitions and acquisitions, and and um, I, I think it was a growing process. You, you know, you had to know who went all the way to eight ball. You know, um, you know, just bouncing back from injuries. Uh, Byron Buxton, you know, he went to AAA and then get called back up. Um, he just had a lot of different things and a lot of transitions, and and I thought Molly played a a, a really good role and and kind of, you know, minimizing uh, uh, all the, the turmoil and the noise. Uh, he put those guys out there and, and put guys in position to succeed, you know, especially at a, you got young guys that got called up from AAA, and they came up and, and, and was very exciting. And uh, so I, I definitely think that uh, this year was kind of like an up and down and a big learning process for not only the Twins, but for the Twins players to, you know, try to evaluate what we can do better, how we can make ourselves better, and uh, and come 2019, you know, uh, really go out there and be consistent and play the game the right way. On Buxton, have you talked to him a bunch since he wasn't called up in September? Have you tried to 
you know, talk him off. I don't even know if he's on any sort of ledge, but certainly there was disappointment there in him and him not coming back up in September. Have you have you had a few conversations with him? Uh, no, I haven't. Actually, I've, I've reached out and uh, you know, no phone call. But I, um, I mean, I mean, I understand his frustrations. I really do. You know, I, I, he's a very. If he didn't have frustrations, then I think something's wrong with him. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, you got to have a passion for the game. And uh, and you you were playing well down there. You don't get called up. You should be pretty upset about that. And he got a right to be. Nobody can say, oh, he shouldn't be upset. He shouldn't do this. He shouldn't do that. Think about it. If, if something doesn't happen your way, the way you think, feel like you're deserving of it, you know, you you might not act out that way, but you're gonna act out in uh, in any situation or anything in your life. Uh, but I'm I'm pretty sure he's you know evaluating some of the decisions of, of leaving the season, evaluate that and say all right maybe it wasn't the best decision, uh, uh, but he had a, he has the right to act out, but not in that way, and uh, and I, I definitely think he's gonna make the adjustment. Byron Buxton is a a great young man and and uh, a good young man. He just you know um, uh, just left the season. You don't ever want to leave the season and leave your teammates when there's games left, no matter where you are. Corey, it's our first time catching up since you had that cool experience in the summer managing in the in the U.S. World Prospects game. All I'm seeing right now is, hey, the Angels need a manager, right? A team right in your backyard. The Rangers need a manager. What about you throwing your hat in the ring for some of these managerial gigs? <laughs> uh, man, um, whew, that's, that's a hot tamale <laughs> right there. Is that something though? I mean, just in the general sense. I mean, maybe it's not now. Maybe it's three, four years from now. But, but is managing full time something that interests you? Very much, very mm-hmm. much. Um, you know, uh, my my wife is the one that said, you know what? I watched you uh, during the the um, All Star game, and uh, and you had had so much fun. The way you interact with the players. And uh, and you had so much joy in it that she's like, you know what? I want you to be happy and uh, and, and do what you want to do. And uh, so if you ever wanted to be go back to baseball, I'm giving you that shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, I'm giving you the shot. And uh, and she was supportive. And so as long as my wife supports it at this moment or this this time in my life, that's all that matters to me because. Um, one reason I, I, I left the game is to, to get closer to her, to get closer to my family, and uh, and try to make up some lost time, which you can't make up, but you try to. And uh, and and when I've been having a blast the last three years with my family, and uh, I don't want to leave too early to go back into baseball. Uh, when I was married to baseball, and my wife was my mistress. <laughs> And then I remember, I mean, heck, it was at your at your farewell news conference, right? You talked about spending some time on uh, on a nude beach with your wife, right? Yeah, we've we've done that. It might have been in our backyard. But, you know, <laughs> we laid out nude. Uh, Tori, I love it. Let's catch up again in the uh, near future. Let's not make sure that it's you know another four or five months or anything like that. All right, let's, let's definitely keep in touch, man. Love the way you do things. I surely have some Twins notes, which we'll get to after a conversation I play back that I had on Monday with Jim O'Neill, the former baseball coach at Creighton Durham Hall. He knows Joe Maurer incredibly well. In fact, he spent some time with Joe early last week. He was also at Sunday's season finale. But let me tell you about my bookie, mybookie.com. You play, you win. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you are are betting with that's why i always tell people to use my bookie mybookie.com they've been good to me so trust me i wouldn't be telling you about them if i didn't have full trust in them i would only recommend a service that's been good to me i promise you and that's why i'm urging you to make your way to my bookie you win they pay they have in-game live betting over unders on fantasy points scored and the most rewarding player perks in the business and how about this offer If you're willing to deposit after 6 p.m. Central, they'll give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. How about this, too? If you use the promo code SCOOP, 
Join now. You go to MyBookie, MyBookie.com. MyBookie will match you deposit dollar for dollar. That's MyBookie today. It's MyBookie, MyBookie.com. We thank MyBookie for helping keep the Scoop podcast going. You play, you win, you get paid. MyBookie. All right, here's my conversation with former Creighton Durham Hall baseball coach. He coached Joe Maurer in high school. He remains incredibly close to Joe to this day. It is Jim O'Neill. Jim, you were there. I mean, could Sunday have gone any better? No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I think uh, everybody came there with, you know, open eyes and you know, not really knowing what was going to happen. And you know, it started with the girls coming on the field early, um, which was just, you know, touching and uh, very emotional. I think the the entire day played out that way. And um, you got towards the end of the game, and each at bat was going to be, you know, his last per se and it was so sweet to see him hit that double it was just you know textbook joe mauer and uh sliding into second base and um and then when he came out with the catcher's gear uh, i think everybody lost it there uh we certainly didn't expect that and you know it was very fitting and um you could just see the respect amongst uh, the players on both sides the umpires you know and then the fans adoration but you know, the, the players really struck me as uh, um, being a big part of this and wanted to show Joe how much they respect him. And uh, it was, you know, it was, as Molly said, it was a beautiful day. I mean, it hit Joe pretty good, too. I mean, Joe, we don't at least see the emotional side of Joe, but, but certainly it got to him. Yes, it did. Yeah, Joe's pretty stoic, and uh, that's what you always say about him. He's just he's always the same. But uh, there was something different there yesterday. You could you could see it in him. You could feel it. Um, I think uh, mutually from the fans too. Um, you know, he he he, he knows uh, how much the fans have, have meant to him over the years. And I think all of us in the Upper Midwest, not just from Little St. Paul here, but Joe's uh, part of all of us. Uh, and uh, it was a great chance for us to, to show him uh, how much uh, we appreciate uh, all the joys he's given us throughout the years. A little bit on the individual moments. Let's start with, with pregame when, when his girls ran out. I mean, I think all of us parents, I mean, that hit all of us. I mean, how has, how has fatherhood changed, Joe? Well, you know, it's, it's hard to say he's changed anywhere, but uh, I think that's, that's one area. Um, he's always still has the same close group of friends from, from high school here. Um, his family's very close, extended family, but now having his own, you can you can see that uh, you know the girls mean the world to him and his wife Maddie, and uh, they're expecting another one, and uh, uh, I'm sure that all this plays into his his forthcoming decision. And the double, I mean, you're right. I mean, that was that was vintage Joe. I've always thought he was an underrated base runner. So for him to hustle, get into second, I mean, he either had to walk there, or do what he did, probably right for his last at bat. Yeah, it's. Uh... Kind of reminded me of Molly diving into third base for his triple, uh, for his 3,000 hit. But, no, I, you know, I had great, great shot of, of, of him behind the plate there and, you know, t- working the count. It was full count, two strikes, and then uh, he squared it up, uh, hit it between them, and just, you know, Joe's good enough base runner. They make, he just barely makes it all the time, and uh, that's a true sign of a, of a good base runner. And then, I mean, the capper was was the catching gear and getting out there just one final pitch. Yeah, I think that was personally Joe's moment. Uh, I don't think any of us expected that. And, um, you know, he loved catching. Um, He came here as a catcher, said, I want to be a catcher. As a youth, he played all over the place. But uh, when he came here, he said, I want to be a catcher. And, uh, you know, I think uh, his greatest years uh, in the major leagues were as a catcher. And, uh, you know, and it's... And that's kind of been as uh, the Achilles too with the injuries has, has been from catching. But uh, he showed his love of, of the game and and, and the catching. And uh, it, it, I was blown away when I saw it. I, I was not expecting that. And uh, to get the one pitch he, from Belial, um, I think summed it up for him. And then on the injuries, I mean, and specifically another concussion earlier in the season. I mean, do you think? Do you have a sense if if he doesn't suffer this latest concussion that that he'd like to come back? Yeah, unfortunately, this was a reminder, you know, um, that it doesn't take a whole lot. Uh, you know, he went for a pop-up and had a little bit of a whiplash there, and um, you know, he missed he missed some a month of time there, and uh, there, there's just not a lot known about the head, and uh, you know, it's definitely playing into his decision. 
Uh, it's got to be a hard decision because he still can he, can he can play. He's a baseball player, and that's who you are, you know. And I think um, people, you know, oh, he's retiring, retiring. But uh, I think ultimately, when Joe has to say that he's he's done, that's going to be the hardest moment uh, of all. And I don't think it's something he wanted to rush into. He's you know he's a calculated guy, and he thinks everything out pretty pretty well. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough to, for those words to come out. I mean, it's a collection of people too. He'll lean on. I mean, he's going to lean on people like you. Yeah, you know, you stopped by here last Monday, as a matter of fact. Uh, he was going to pick up the girls, and I was out mowing the lawn, and, and that's Joe being Joe. Just stops and, you know, says hi, and he's had a good uh, last half of the season. Uh, and, you know, going into this year, he was really, really excited about where the Twins were headed. And, uh, you know, and a lot of unfortunate things happened uh, along the way with injuries and um, other things that, you know, I think they only finished with nine of the 25 they started with, and Joe being one of them, but, you know, you never heard any of that out of him, and uh, he just kept coming every day, playing hard, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the the health and the family is probably the biggest uh, decision. You know what, though? He could still get it done. I mean, if if health aside, right? I mean, he's still he's still a 300 hitter, give or take. He's still a 370 on base guy. He's still a gold glove first baseman, right? I mean, if he played next year, we'd still see productive Joe. Oh, without a doubt. I, I think he's he could play for a few more years, and that's that's another hard part because I'm sure he feels that way too. He you just watch him, and uh, you know you know when he's feeling good and. Uh, he, he was feeling it that last last month, and uh, he was squaring up a lot of balls. And yeah, I mean, he moves to first base, and he's he's excellent there, you know. And, and I always say he could have played any position and been really good. Um, but catcher's the toughest one, and uh, he was a Gold Glover there, and I, th- I think he played Gold Glove first base too. Um, but uh, you know, he, he never tried to change his hitting either. He, you know, I think his his approach was to hit the ball hard somewhere all the time, and. In this day and age, when there's launch angles and all this stuff, uh, he's never wavered from what uh, he's he wants to do, and it's just try to hit the ball as hard as he can where it's pitched. Do you think most fans appreciated how good Joe was? No, I I, I don't know. Um, you know, I think once he had to move to first base, the contract kind of got in the way there, um, as far as being appreciated by by the you know the everyday fan. But I think when you look around uh, baseball and uh, how, how respected he is around the league and you know he was still the guy they were going to intentionally walk late in the game uh, when there was an opportunity to, for the Twins to win or tie a game uh, they didn't want to go after Joe Maurer and uh, there's there's a lot of respect around baseball for him and I think once he's gone it's going to be uh, boy you know we miss Joe um, and you kind of take him for granted at times and uh, I think even his detractors will uh, admit that behind you on the scoreboard it says Paul Mauder Hall of Fame what year was that yeah he went in what 04 okay I mean I understand your bias but at some point should it say Joe Maurer Baseball Hall of Fame 2022-2023 yeah you hope so uh nowadays it's 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 tough to get in the Hall of Fame and um you know he's got some numbers for it but he's got some numbers against it too you know if he stayed a catcher I think it's a no-brainer um every catcher before him on the stats uh, is in the Hall of Fame, and there's a few that are after him on the stat sheets uh, that are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, moving to first base, you know, might take away some of that, but uh, I think when you look at everything he's done um, throughout the years, he's moving positions and and how well he handled that. Uh, he just wasn't. Uh, you know, we had to force him to to take home run cuts, even as a high school player. Here we bring him out, and Joe, you know, you're a big kid. You can hit home runs and. You know, and he, that was never a part of his game. You know, he just he wanted to hit the ball hard, square, um, and uh, that, that's just the way he was. But uh, I, I think in history uh, he'll go down as obviously one of the greatest twins, and and hopefully uh, the writers will, will see his career and what happened to him and, um, and give him that opportunity for the Hall of Fame. On home runs, how much do you remember 09? I mean, is that about as good a memory as there was for, for you in terms of being able to pitch to him in the home run derby? Yeah, that was that was an incredible day that Joe gave me. And uh, uh, that's again, shows the kind of guy he is, bringing his high school coach uh, to this huge event and um, not knowing if he could perform in front of all those people. But but we did. And, uh, you know, it's it's, it's a testament to, uh, to Joe. And, and for me, I was a fly on the wall. Just watching uh, how all the other players um, respected him. The managers talked about him. 
So I got to hear so many, so many people speak so highly of Joe. Uh, for me, that was something I'll always take away. Was Joe an underrated leader? Um, I think so. I, I think, uh, you know, he was never a rah-rah guy. And he, you know, he never was here either, you know, and he was a football quarterback. He was a you know, point guard, the catcher. So all the positions he played pointed to him to being a leader. Um, but I think because he's not a rah-rah guy, stamp-your-foot type of person, but I think just when you watch him every day, um, you, you follow. You want to follow him. And uh, you want to be like him. So hopefully throughout the years, a lot of the young guys, uh, and I know they probably have, uh, have followed the way he works and goes about his business. So I think in that respect, yeah, he's, he's an underrated leader, but he never forced anything. When did you know that he was special? I mean, was it ninth grade? Was it sooner than that? When did I know Joe was special? Was, uh, you know, he was, he was a fantastic player in high school, obviously, and I saw him as a youth kid around here, 5th, 6th, 7th grade. Um, but I think uh, we were in the state tournament, and uh, was back then we played two games in a day. In the morning he caught, so we took infield, he caught the game. And in the afternoon uh, we took infield again, and he caught five innings. And in the top of the fifth inning he had a three-run homer to give us a lead. And we brought him in relief. And the first pitch he threw was 92 miles an hour. It was on the midway score scoreboard. And uh, I know, remember talking to one of the coaches. I says, well, I think the Twins made the right decision because if you don't work out as a hitter, he, they can use him as a pitcher. And uh, he, was just, he was just that type of player that he could do everything. Do you remember that too, by the way? I mean, sure you do. That time when a lot of people were like, Mark Pryor, you need to yes. take Mark Pryor. Turned out Terry Ryan made the right call. Yeah, no, I remember it because it was Mark Pryor, 94 miles an hour. You know, that was the big thing with him. He threw so hard. He was ready to come up right now. And, uh, you know, Joe threw that pitch after taking infield twice and playing a game and a half uh, through 92. I said, well, you know, maybe in a couple of years uh, he'll be throwing a little more than 94. Joe Mowers, high school coach, baseball coach, not basketball or football because we remember how great he was in both those sports, but his baseball coach at Creighton Durham Hall, Jim O'Neill. Math has never been a strong suit. It would be one heck of a story if Joe Mauer made it to Cooperstown in 2022. 23, first ballot. I don't know if I see that. Maybe 2028, 29, 30. The longer time goes on. That folks who vote, heck, I'm hoping by then the voting process is changed. I just don't understand how somebody like Vince Scully doesn't vote or Bob Costas type or any number of broadcasters, electronic media doesn't vote. Now, I'm biased being in the electronic media, but I've just never understood that it's just print media or web writers. I just I've never understood that. But I think as time goes on, I think there will be a greater appreciation for all that Joe accomplished. All right, let's go notes now, all notes, and we'll call it a Scoop Podcast, episode 176. Piggybacking on all the Twins talk with Tori Hunter and Jim O'Neill. On Paul Molitor, Thad Levine and Derek Falvey scheduled to meet the media Tuesday in the 3 o'clock range. I'm assuming we'll get some clarity at that point. As of Monday, somebody close to Molly said he actually had not sat down with Thad and Derek. I don't necessarily have a sense that change is coming. I'm not dismissing it. Heck, Patrick Royce, who knows more about baseball, or heck, put it this way, he forgets more about baseball in four seconds than I'll ever know, has tweeted that he thinks change is coming. I don't think Patrick is saying that lightly. I just don't have any sense on my end as I sit here at 1030 on Tuesday morning, the 2nd of October, that change is coming. But my point is we should get some clarity on that front sometime before Tuesday is over. If Molly is back, I do expect some sort of coaching staff shakeup change. I guess I would be surprised if every member of the coaching staff is back. On the medical side, you think about Buxton, Sano, Rosario, guys that came back from injury, then got re-injured. I know that Falvey and Levine want to take a hardcore analysis of what isn't working when it comes to the medical side of things. Do they bring in somebody to oversee The medical side of things, the training side of things, that is something surely to keep an eye on. Also on the Twins front, Darren Johnson, who's high up in the front office, was recently in Osaka, Japan, to scout Japanese lefty Yusei Kukuchi. And I might be saying the last name wrong, K-I-K-U-C-H-I. Yusei Kukuchi 
He is not quite Shohei Otani, but there's many teams that will have an interest in him. He will be posted here this winter. So the Twins have done their homework on him because I know Mike Radcliffe has also seen him and the Twins have a scout based. All right, on Jimmy Butler, on the Wolves, that's the question I'm getting more than anything. And I get it. People are super curious, always appreciate passionate fans. I do get a kick out of the Butler side being upset that a trade hasn't been completed by now. Keep in mind that the Wolves never wanted the trade request leaked. They were always willing to satisfy the trade request when it was made, what now, two weeks ago today, two weeks ago in Los Angeles. But the Wolves had no intention of leaking said request. That was the Jimmy Butler side that leaked the request. The Wolves remain upset about that. So I get a kick out of the Butler side, who's been leaking everything, by the way. I don't, well, I don't want to say everything, but 98% of information you see out there is driven by the Butler side, okay? And they are upset that a trade hasn't been completed yet. If you're the Wolves, you're going to be a bit patient. Now, my understanding is from talking to numerous league officials, league sources, front office folks, a coach, actually a couple coaching sources, that the Wolves have all the parameters of the deals that they can make. So it's on the Wolves at some point here to say yes. Now, do they wait a little bit longer just to see if some team adds a player in like Miami? Miami is not willing to move Josh Richardson, but in the end, do they offer Josh Richardson? I talked about that on a recent Scoop podcast that some league people thought, yeah, in the end, Riley would make him available when you have a chance to acquire a star like Jimmy Butler. But so far, as of October 2nd, no sense whatsoever that Miami is making Josh Richardson available. Same goes for Bam Adebayo. Is Goran Dragic available? Yeah, the Wolves could acquire Goran Dragic. Is Hassan Whiteside available? Yeah, the Wolves could acquire Hassan Whiteside. From Houston, you can get Eric Gordon. You can get P.J. Tucker. The Rockets want Jimmy Butler. The Bucks are willing to move Brogdon, Bledsoe. The Bucks still have interest in Jimmy Butler. They're not willing to move Middleton. Miami won't move Richardson. I don't know who else you would want from Houston. Capella can't even be moved, and they're not moving Capella. So I don't know what else you would want from Houston necessarily. Sacramento is also still a key player in all this with their expiring contracts, and they have a bunch of cap space. So they are willing to absorb a contract, a contract like Gorgie Jang's, but they need at least one if not multiple sweeteners multiple draft picks the Clippers are also still very very interested in Jimmy Butler now league folks still say keep an eye on Miami that Miami wants him the most he wants to be in Miami not that the Wolves care about that but hey if he wants to be in Miami and Miami wants him that eventually you can find some sort of happy medium find a way to complete a trade. Now, Jimmy's been working out at the Wolves facility with the team out West. I was told, hey, don't expect a trade while they're out West. So they play at the Clippers on when? Wednesday night. They fly back on Thursday. They have a preseason game at Target Center on Friday. So I don't expect anything to happen on the Butler front. Now, hey, all it takes is one new offer, one new call, but no sense that a new offer is coming in. So what I'm saying is I don't expect any Butler action here in the next 24 24- to 48 hours but at some point the wolves need to make a decision and say okay this is such a sideshow such a distraction let's just get what we can we know that we're losing him anyway after the season heck he has had two surgeries in the last what five or six months heck there are people internally with the wolves that i heard from going back weeks that were reluctant to ever give him $190 million or even $110 million. So credit to Jimmy for how hard he plays, how hard he works. But do you really want to be paying Jimmy Butler $40 million when he's 33 years old? I know that there's some people in the Wolves front office that pause on that front. Now, should Tibbs have read some tea leaves earlier this summer? Here's another bullet point that I wanted to bring up. Maybe so. But I actually take, from digging around, I take Tibbs at face value when he told us at Media Day eight days ago that the first time he heard from Jimmy that Jimmy was requesting a trade was two Tuesdays ago. Now, if you listen to this podcast, go back to May 1st. I forget what episode it was, but May 1st at about the 28-minute mark, You heard that Jimmy did not fly back to Minnesota with the team after the playoff loss, the Game 5 loss, to the Houston Rockets. So that was one sign. He didn't undergo some medical testing right after the season. Tibbs visited with Butler in the summer, late July, early August. So what exactly was said in that conversation? But Tibbs said at Media Day the first time that he really, really knew that Jimmy wanted out was two Tuesdays ago. And I'm telling you, now, 
we could be debating semantics, you know, a breakdown in communication. But I'm just telling you, the idea that Jimmy requested a trade earlier in the summer, completely driven by the Jimmy side. And they are trying to shape this so Jimmy comes out looking okay, that he doesn't take a massive PR hit. I'm just telling you, though, that I do take Tibbs at face value that the first time he really, really knew that Jimmy wanted out was two Tuesdays ago. So make no mistake, you know, because I think Tibbs is taking a lot of heat, and I get it, rightfully so. Owner Glenn Taylor is taking a lot of heat. I think Jimmy Butler deserves a good amount of heat in this equation. And I'm not quite sure he's getting it because mostly because of the angle of his agent and others driving information to many reporters. Let me also say on Butler before I move on that, and maybe it's a hill I just will die on, but I don't see him ever wearing a Wolves uniform again. Opening night is what, October, what is it, 16th or 17th? I don't see him playing in San Antonio opening night. So I continue to not see Jimmy playing for the Wolves again. But when a trade happens, I guess let's just keep an eye on things again. Once the Wolves are back in the Twin Cities on Thursday afternoon, then heading into Friday, see how the weekend shakes out because teams are still interested. There's still dialogue. But again, the Wolves have all the parameters of deals they can make. So it's on the Wolves to eventually say yes, or who knows? Maybe in the end, they somehow say no. I don't think they'll say no because ownership is driven to move on from Jimmy to at least bring back something that can help to get rid of the sideshow. You know, so even if Tibbs is reluctant to, in the end, move Butler, ownership still wants him out. All right, some other notes. The Cole Aldrich on again, off again, deal overseas, appears to be back on. It looks like he is on his way to China. He's in Hawks camp right now on a non-guaranteed deal. There was some momentum about a week ago that something would happen overseas. Then it died, but now it's been revisited. It looks like there is some happy ground because Cole is definitely interested in playing overseas. Hey, no guarantees that he was making the Hawks opening night roster, especially when you're on a non-guaranteed contract. So he can get a nice guarantee. He can experience a different lifestyle. Him and his wife are very open-minded. They are not parents yet, so they're open-minded to experiencing a new lifestyle. So don't be surprised if you see Cole Aldrich end up with a team in China. Josh Okogie continues to impress. Heck, we saw it in the first preseason game, but those first three days of training camp at Mayo Clinic Square, I was told that Okogie played very, very well. So we'll wait and see if Tibbs will play a rookie, but Josh Okogie impressing a lot of folks so far. What other notes do I have written down? Marcus Carr, the Pittsburgh transfer, the point guard for the Gophers men's basketball team. The NCAA is handing out these waivers left and right another kid got one on monday to be eligible right away after transferring i'm told the gophers are optimistic it's guarded optimism but they are optimistic that marcus carr will be eligible this year imagine how big of a deal that would be because point guard is a question mark isaiah washington a question mark nobody behind isaiah you know amir coffee is going to play on the ball and dupree mcbrayer can play on the ball but imagine if marcus carr who averaged double figures in the ACC last year as a true freshman, imagine if he is eligible right away. That would be a big-time win for the Gophers. On UW-Milwaukee transfer Brock Stahl, I'm told he's still working on his conditioning. He had to finish up some academic work. He arrived on campus right at the beginning of the semester, so he's still getting into game shape. The beautiful thing is the Gophers are still over a month away from playing a game that matters, so Stahl has plenty of time to get into shape. On the Gophers football team, Antoine Winfield Jr., I don't think this was ever reported, ligament damage in his foot. That's why he underwent surgery. That's why he is out for the season. On Keandre Thomas, I know that he missed the Maryland game trying to get some academic stuff squared away. Hopefully he's back this week. Who will say the swine is mine? It's the Gophers and Iowa Hawkeyes at TCF Bank Stadium, 2.30 on Saturday afternoon. On Gophers women's basketball, before I get to the Vikings, I was over at Lindsey Whalen's first official practice on on Monday, hey, talking to Destiny Pitts, the Big Ten Freshman of the Year last year after, and Kanisha Bell, who is the Gophers' best player, they both talked about how Lindsay and her coaching staff certainly emphasized defense way more than Marlene Stallings did. Also, Pitts said that, you know, them going to a man-to-man defense certainly should help. The Gophers played pretty much all zone under Marlene Stallings, and just the overall emphasis, I'm telling you, the energy, the emphasis 
placed on defense was eye-opening because we hadn't seen it under Marlene. Now, to Marlene's credit, she won the first NCAA tournament game in nine years here. I mean, it had been nine years since the Gophers women's basketball team won an NCAA tournament game. So she did something right. She won a game last year. She about doubled her salary to get the job at Texas Tech. So Marlene Stallings knows what she's doing, but she just never emphasized defense. Hey, it was a fun style of basketball to watch because it was always running guns, score a lot of points, try to outscore the opposition. So it was a fun brand of basketball to watch. But really, truthfully, Marlene never really emphasized defense during her time here. So certainly Lindsey Whalen is emphasizing defense. Also, Destiny Pitts talked about how they watched a lot of the Lynx because, no surprise, a lot of the things that Cheryl Reeve ran with the Lynx, Lindsey will run with the Gophers. And on Kenesha Bell, I've said this for a while, that I think the best job that Lindsey Whalen has done so far from a recruiting standpoint was convincing Kenesha to not transfer. She could have transferred as a graduate transfer, but once the Lindsey Whalen hire was announced, Kenesha has WNBA aspirations. She was all about playing for Lindsey. But I do think if they had brought in a different coach, that there was a distinct possibility that Kenesha Bell would have left the Gophers as a graduate transfer. All right, and one other Gopher note, Ben Gordon, assistant coach, Bob Mosco had to go down the list pretty good, although Ben is a good hockey guy. I've Heard a lot of good things about Ben Gordon, the former Gophers hockey player. Motsko pretty much had to hire a U of M man for that second assistant job. So he gets Ben Gordon, but he did swing and miss on a number of guys, including Chris McAlpine. So he had to go down that list pretty good, but all in all, pretty good hire to bring in Ben Gordon. On the Vikings, I heard that George Iloka's camp wasn't going to say anything until the Rams game played out. Well, Iloka got, what, one defensive snap? In the loss to the Rams, Iloka came here for the minimum, thinking that he would absolutely play. He hasn't played through four games. He's played on special teams, but hasn't played on defense. So that's a storyline to watch this week. Do they say something? Do they say, hey, why isn't George playing, especially the way the defense is playing? And Iloka was a really good player, good player for the Cincinnati Bengals. You have to wonder, what is going on there? Why isn't he playing? And I know that his side is wondering the same thing, and there was maybe even going to be a phone call this week if he hadn't played in the Rams game. And as we saw, he did not play in the Rams game. The Vikings worked out defensive lineman Robert Ayers and Lamar Houston on Monday. Doesn't sound like any traction on signing either one of those guys. I do find it interesting, though, that no interest so far in bringing back Brian Robinson. So they work out these defensive linemen on Monday. I'm told they have not reached out to Brian Robinson Today, Maybe that can always change, but as of now, no Vikings interest in Brian Robison. On the local basketball scene, there's all sorts of stuff to keep an eye on, but certainly Zeke Naji, Zeke Naji of Hopkins, top 40 player in the country in the class of 2019, 6'10 forward. His dad texted me the other day. I'm trying to multitask as I scroll down to the text. I will read you. What went into his decision-making to eliminate the Gophers? Heck, eliminate Wisconsin. He eliminated over 15 schools. He now has a Final Five. They are Kansas, Arizona, UCLA, Baylor, and Purdue. He will officially visit Kansas October 5th, Arizona October 12th, UCLA October 19th, Baylor October 26th, and Purdue November 2nd. Then he will commit right before the Hopkins basketball season starts. So he'll commit in late November. I believe their first game is like December 1st or maybe late November. He'll commit sometime around November 24th. For his final five, here is what went into it. For them, and this is a family decision. This isn't just Zeke. Certainly his dad and his family are heavily involved. Here is what his dad told me. The key for us was style of play, strength coach, student body, and relationship with the coach. Certainly it was not easy to turn down the likes of the Gophers and Badgers. I know that Zeke's dad reached out to Rob Jeter of the Gophers, texted with Richard Patino. It was not easy telling the Gophers no, but those are the schools he is looking at. I'll just say this. I think it'll be hard for Purdue and Baylor to beat out the Blue Bloods. I consider UCLA a Blue Blood. I guess Arizona's up in the air, but I think Arizona is a Blue Blood than Kansas. I certainly would keep an eye on Arizona first, then Kansas. Keep an eye on those two schools for Zeke Naji of Hopkins. All right, I think that'll do it. I'll try to get in here maybe later this week. 
especially if some things develop on the Jimmy Butler front, say Thursday into Friday. No guarantees just because my TV schedule is all over the place. But I have some other notes that I did not get to. But I think 60 minutes is, well, heck, you could argue 60 minutes is too long for any podcast. But I think that's a good end point for me right here on Scoop Podcast episode 176. Support my bookie, mybookie.com. Check it out. And if you want to learn more about my bookie, rewind to about the 27, 28 minute mark. I did a little spot about my bookie. You can listen back to that. They have all sorts of offers. You can use the promo code SCOOP to get some dollars your way. They will match your deposit dollar for dollar. So they have all sorts of great deals going on. You play, you win. It is my bookie mybookie.com. All right, we are done here on Scoop Podcast episode 176. Always appreciate you listening. He knows you once ate an entire sheet cake. He knows your selfie life isn't your real life. He knows what goes down on the DMs. Shouldn't you know your dog better? Now you can learn his inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlocking over 350 breeds and screening for over 215 genetic health risks. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today. Anticipation is building. The holidays are just around the corner, and at the Home Depot, we can't wait. With Black Friday savings all through November, you can count down to Christmas early with a Santa Countdown Inflatable Special Buy, only $69.98. Or anticipate when friends and family come to visit with an entrance full of LED lights that will welcome them and the holidays with open arms. Get the holiday magic started early. The Home Depot. How doers get more done.